I'm Annie Kriegbaum. And I'm Nick Axelrod-Welk. And this is Eyewitness Beauty, a podcast, obviously. About? About? <laughs> beauty news. But first of all, let's just introduce ourselves to our listener. I'm assuming the one listener we have is my mom and maybe your mom, so maybe two listeners. I met you, Annie, in New York about like eight or eight years ago. Um, we were looking for a writer for Into the Gloss, where I was the editorial director, and your writing stood out, and and we hired you, and we became friends. And when I left Into the Gloss, you ended up basically taking my job as sort of like the head of content and, and branded content. And then when Glossier launched, you became one of the brand and creative leads for Glossier. Yeah. And you were there for like three years, and now you've been consulting in New York for a wide variety of brands, like a CBD brand, a wine brand, um, some beauty brands. Some fashion. Some fashion. All that stuff. Lifestyle. That you buy that follows you around on the internet with their ads. Nick, let's talk about you. How did we meet? I, I'll remind you, since apparently you forgot. You DM'd me on Twitter, and it changed my life. I was like coming out of a facial... I had really terrible acne, and the facials were just making it worse. I was like on Canal Street, and Nick Axelrod DM'd me on Twitter and was like, let's talk. I like your writing. I have zero memory of this. Yeah, well. Yeah, and then I came on as a writer to Into the Gloss, which you co-founded. Before that, you were at Women's Wear Daily, and Al, you were a, what kind of reporting did you do there? I did the media column uh, at Women's Wear Daily, and then I was a fashion news editor at Elle. And then you moved to LA, and you co-founded Necessaire, which is the very chic like body care line that I'm sure everybody has seen, all three. And <laughs> now you are more of an advisor for Necessaire, and everything's writing in this podcast for you. Everything is writing on this podcast. So basically, you know, you and I, from what it sounds like, are freelance. <laughs> unemployed <That's> a- <laughs> and starting a podcast, which sounds like a great premise. So this podcast, Eyewitness Beauty, we called it Eyewitness Beauty because we wanted to create a podcast that really discussed like topical beauty news. So stuff that's going on right now in our industry. Obviously, you and I are, you know, industry, quote unquote, insiders, but we're going to be talking about topics that you and I are not experts on. And in those cases, we're going to call experts and get them to talk to us and to explain things to us and hopefully kind of create and further any dialogues that are happening in the industry. Since this is a beauty news podcast, I mean, the biggest thing happening in the news, and like you said, beauty reflects that, is the Black Lives Matter movement. So that's what the episode is going to be focused on today. We were lucky enough to get Sharon Tudor, who is the founder of Oma Beauty and also the founder of Pull Up or Shut Up, which is a movement to get basically greater corporate transparency in the beauty industry. And she's been asking on Instagram for the last week for consumers to withhold their spending dollars from any brand who won't release their data about how many black employees they have, how many black employees in leadership positions and and on the executive team. And people are responding. So L'Oreal, Procter & Gamble, Unilever. Shiseido, Milk Makeup. Everyone. And we all have Sharon to thank. So we were super excited to talk to her on a Sunday morning where she was in between phone calls. So here is our conversation with Sharon. 
you know, corporate culture is everything. And it's something that too few people pay attention to because you're busy trying to like, you know, build the business and like make money. For me, culture is everything because I feel culture internally feeds the external. The mission of my brand is to create an outspokenly inclusive culture around beauty. And it was important the outspoken before the inclusivity because, you know, and it's almost like this pull off a change initiative. It's a classic example of that. If we cannot have conversations openly, it is not possible for inclusivity to happen. And that was one of my frustrations. Everybody's so uncomfortable to say the truth. Let's all just say the truth. Let's all just be transparent. And when we do that, we can actually now build a really strong and organic relationship and a community of trust and support. Um, and that's what I want in my brand. It's like I want to create an outspoken, inclusive culture around beauty. Um, and it comes out like in, in terms of who we are, because that's what we are. We're a community. So as a community, yeah. we can't just be talking about one subject. We have all the different things that hold us together. So let's talk about it. Was this idea of sort of outspoken inclusivity a reaction to your like the experiences you had before starting your own brand? Exactly, exactly. Because that's why I left, you know, and even the conversations we're having right now about corporate and corporate culture. When I left my last corporate role, I, I had a nervous tick. I literally had a nervous tick. Like I was so stressed as a human being because, you know, one, I felt I, my life lacked, lacked purpose. Um, and the, we, were, we weren't inclusive. The brands I worked with weren't inclusive. So I think for me, uh, it was all these experiences where you couldn't talk about it. Like back then, this conversation I'm having right now, all this pull off a chain. If we try to have that three years ago, you would have called a racist, period. It would be, oh, we don't see color and blah, 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 blah. And I really didn't like that. I was like, there are so many issues that are underneath, that are just bubbling, that nobody wants to address, nobody wants to talk about. And until it's like, you know, you know, when you're a couple and you're having issues and you're passive aggressive with each other, until you go to that therapy so you guys can talk, talk, at that moment, it's uncomfortable, but it makes you guys stronger because everything that you've had there that's been making you passive aggressive and, you know, now you're getting mad that he didn't put the toilet seat up. Meanwhile, that's not what's pissing you off. It's something completely different, you know, um, and that's the way I see it. I'm just like, you know, there was so much tension and I felt that even back then. I was like, there is so much that this industry does not allow the room or the safety for people to talk about, especially marginalized people. You know, for example, Team building activities. I mean, beauty is a female industry. Oh, you know what we're going to do? Yay, let's go get our hair blow dried. Well, yeah, I, I my hair can't, you know? And everybody's having fun getting sprayed and like, yay, taking off the clothes and chatting or whatever. And you sit there, you're like, yay, great. This is amazing, you know? So there was so much about beauty and, you know, especially around any marginalized group, anybody who was different. There was just so much nobody was talking about. And so I was like, I want to create a space where everybody feels okay to say anything. So what was the spark for Pull Up or Shut Up? Um, definitely this Black Lives Matter. I think for me, the, um, the Blackout Tuesday uh, was the final straw for me. Absolute final straw. You know, I'm like, okay, I will change. I'm out there. I'm protesting. I'm screaming. I'm getting shot. I got shot twice last weekend, or, or, you know, uh, um, by the, by the police whilst we were protesting, right? Tear gas, all of this is happening. And then you come back home and come onto your feet. And what are you seeing? We, uh, corporate stand with black lives and blah, 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 blah. And it was just like, oh, 
you know, it was just it. Like, I was just like, okay, this time I'm done. I'm ready to burn because this is ridiculous. Okay, excuse me. So you're going to absorb yourself of the role you continue to play in this situation. The fact that you keep marginalizing us, you don't employ us, you know, you push us out there so that we can continue living the stereotype and then we can continue getting killed. And I felt like this was a very unique opportunity for the whole world to stop. At least the whole world, the good news is recognize that, yes, there is systemic racism. Okay, that's progress. It took us 400 years to get there. Okay, great. What are we going to do about it? Everybody starts, oh, it's somebody else's problem. And the brands start preaching to their followers. If you stay silent in the moments of oppression, you are taking the side of the oppressor. Okay. Oh, to stay silent is bad, but they're doing nothing. And so for me, it was just the final straw. You know, seeing all the displays, seeing all the tiles go black for Blackout Tuesday. And I was like, okay, so we Blackout Tuesday, then what? Then we go back to work the next day and, oh my God, with this movement, the stories I'm getting, even of how this was managed, companies where they brought people together and like, oh, let's talk about the black experience. Meanwhile, the, the CEO is sitting there with his eyes rolled back and just like completely disconnected. And the black employees are like bowling their eyes out and writing to me and going, here's what we're going through even in this moment. And so I thought... This is an opportunity for us to get all this conversation out there. And it's been interesting seeing the reaction from the public not really understanding how bad this is. This is something we've known in the industry forever. There's nothing new to us in the industry. The only person this is new to is a consumer. Being in the industry and in the beauty industry, like it's not a surprise because we've been in all these corporations. We've been in all these like meetings. We, we see whose faces are there and whose faces are represented. I think, you know, to me, what was so powerful about the movement was that a single person can bring a corporation to the table like that because we also know how controlled these environments are and marketing how PR and obsessed like how how big that is a part of beauty and and to all of a sudden say pull up or shut up and get L'Oreal, Unilever, Procter and Gamble, these huge, you know, multinational global corporations to say okay, US you know what? I have to admit that because I organized this in like, le- you know, less than 48 hours. It was about like 24 hours. And I was like, I'm going, I'm doing it tomorrow because I'm crazy like that. And um, a lot of people are sort of like, they're not going to respond. It's just a waste of your time. It's going to be another rant on Instagram and whatever. And when, when I called a lot of uh, like people, like people with influence in, in my crew, like, hey, come, like, hey, let's do this. You know, let's do a video. Like, because we were all supposed to do a video and it was supposed to be chopped in, not just me ranting, Right. And when he came to doing the video, they're like, you know, your dog, no. <laughs> I just, I would rather go do something that, you know, some that's going to actually make a difference because this is a rant. And I'm like, no, I just feel like, you know, the consumers have the power. And I think that's something I've always believed in. Everybody always thinks, you know, it's the big guys, you know, waiting for it. It's going to be the Barack Obama who's going to walk in and say it. And I find the biggest changes in the world happen from the smallest people. Whenever there's been a revolution, it's never been a revolution led by an elite. It's always been an, a revolution led by the people. I just knew immediately we just need one or two big people to move. And immediately they do that. It's done. Who was the first big person who you were like, OK, fuck, we're actually like getting some traction. Once Milk and Elf responded, it was done. And even Elf sort of responded in a sort of passive way. You know, they didn't like fully respond Milk went all out and posted it actually on their page. And when Milk did that, I was like, we've got something. For Milk, it was organic to them because their followers are millennials. That's who buy Milk. So for them, it was it's, it's actually a good thing to do. Like, you know, and, and Masakrazi, he, he's amazing. He's an immigrant. He gets it. He understands that this is not a witch hunt. And he's been so proactive. He called me straight away and was just like, 
we're posting, we're doing this. I want to learn. I want to do more. And their numbers weren't even that bad. You know what I mean? They were at 9%. That's above the industry average of 8%. And he was like, I want to do more. Tell me, talk to me. I'm listening. I'm, my ears are open. I want to do this, you know? And that was, that was the beginning. I mean, once they went out, everybody else had to start going, oh, okay. You know, I woke up the next day and it was like, oh, Hooter and this and that and that. And it all happened all at once. And I was struggling that, okay, I really didn't think this through in terms of how I was going to manage this. Cause you know, I, I just, you know, you put it out there and you don't really think about it. So it's been really good. And it's really, I mean, it's getting bigger and bigger and, you know, I'm getting people calling me. I'm getting people, how do we amplify this? Because this is, this could be the biggest generational shift we've seen economically for the black community in over a hundred years. One of the trends we've seen from all the data we're gathering is the same thing, that diversity number overall, because that's what they need to report on looks good. But then you drill down into black people and it just disappears. Did any of the data surprise you? I knew all of what they all look like before they came out. Even the ones who haven't come out that I'm calling, I know what the numbers are. That's the thing where you put power to the people. People are everything. So I think that's a good thing now. Everybody's an ally. It's no longer waiting for Black people to fight. Everybody's fighting for this and going, you know, screw corporate BS. We're going to speak. A lot of people sending me information are not Black people. They're white people. And they said, I've been silent for a long time. I can't publicly speak. I can't officially speak. But Sharon, here's information and this is what it looks like. And what are you going to do with that? We learned with the Me Too movement that like with that information comes a certain amount of negotiating power, but a lot of corporate pushback too, right? And a lot of people trying to silence you and buy your favor and all that. That's the good thing about my personality. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not possible. And I've got emails, you know, from people like, well, like to range your brand and whatever. Nah, yeah, pull up still. Uh, <laughs> you know, pull up. Let's see those numbers, you know. I really admired how you were responding to brands too. You're like, you're congratulating them for responding even if their numbers are shit, which you already knew that they were going to be. Exactly. <laughs> which I guess like everything that's happening right now, call out culture, you're obviously like using some of those methods for good. But then on the other side, we're seeing like a lot of individuals being called out. It's different to call out a corporation than to call out an individual. So I didn't know if you had any kind of like advice there. What do you think about the individual side? Look, there, there is a line when you call out individuals publicly on social media, you know, the, the Internet is wild. You know, and that's why a lot of people send me stuff and go like publishing. They want me to publish it. And I would love to publish it, but I can't publish it because the best way for me to get the change is gather that information in a coordinated way and give it to the right person who can make that change. You know, I, I definitely would encourage people to, you know, share your stories, talk about it and everything. Um, but sometimes specifically naming individuals can be dangerous. Imagine if that person killed themselves as a result. Well, for the last few days, I basically have been glued to the comments of both companies and individuals just reading everything. And it is, it's heavy. It's really fucking heavy. It's very heavy. And that's why I go, this is time for us to have this conversation because we're in therapy right now, right? This is what I'm facilitating. Therapy. This is like marriage counseling. You know, when your marriage is about to fall apart, you go, let's give it one last shot. And you sit down with that therapist and it's like, hell, at that point, you're like, I don't even see a way we're going to be together. This is it. It's done. You know what I mean? So at that point in time, it's uncomfortable. But then you get past it. And all of a sudden, you're like, I love you again. And it feels light and it's airy. And, and that's what I hope is going to come on the other side of this, because now it's going to be real. I encourage everybody to continue speaking up and speaking out and sharing their experiences. You know, the only thing I usually caution is just when it's regarding a particular in individual, I, I really don't want us to use this opportunity to send the whole world into a tailspin. And it becomes dangerous because anybody with a vendetta can just go out and call anybody's name out. Who do you think out of the brands that have responded with sort of action plans, who who gets it? 
the most? Like whose action plan did you look at and you were like, okay, this is specific, it's detailed, and it's also self-aware? Um, I honestly, because the, there's, the action plans right now are still at very high level. So it's hard to, because everybody just going, I will do better. Right. That's pretty much the action plan. I'm hiring a, you know, agency to help me find black people and la la la. So <laughs> it sounds silly, but that, I mean, that is what they're basically saying. They're like, we'll hire, we'll hire someone to, to find a black person for us to talk to. Exactly. That's why I'm not really paying attention to the action plan. Creating an action plan in a hurry because you need to like just get it out there. That's not that's not going to be the action plan that saves you. It's going to be what happens after here. And personally, I feel like the industry needs to create an independent diversity board. Same thing as we have for blue collar workers with the unions, you know, because they understand that it's very hard for companies to police themselves. It's very difficult. So I feel like we need a diversity board that comprises of all races. Everybody come together. I think especially in America, the black experience is so unique, and that's why I try and tell people. Among all people of color, the black experience is so unique because of America's history with slavery and oppression and segregation and all of this. You know, black people have only been able to illegally mingle with white people for 66 years. So you think about how young, how young this is. And people don't appreciate that, how young it is for people to even have an education you know, for people to like be integrated. Into, I mean, we're still not integrated. Let's face it. And it has an impact even in corporate because how, uh, when people hire, right, they look at two things, qualification and cultural fit, right? And we also know there's a third factor, which is just a pure emotive factor. And the emotional factor overrides even qualification. A lot of people have interviews that go so well, they don't even ask you questions. I've, we've all been there where the, in the rapport was so strong. It's like, oh, I forgot to even ask you the real questions and you hire the person. Those two things is what's failing black people getting into corporations because, you know, most organizations are built on a very Caucasian kind of culture. And so it continues to uphold that because it's like, oh, we're a culture where we're this and we lay back and we play, you know, lawn bowls on a Friday or whatever they help people play. And the person is like, yeah, um, can I just work? If you fall behind at your work, you're going to keep your job. If I fall behind on my work, I'm going to get fired because the expectation of me is so high. And so then it becomes, oh, you're not a team player. <laughs> you're not, you're not be bonding with the team. It's like, no, you have the privilege to be having your team bonding. I just want to keep my job. There are all these words that we use in the hiring process, like corporate, like culture fit and like team and bond, you know, like bonding that are all like exclusionary and white set and white centric terminology. Like what, what team are you talking, you know, like if you're talking about going for blowouts or you're talking about like having margaritas and, and doing all these things that are part of like a certain culture that's not yours, then how are you supposed to fit into that? Exactly. Thank you. And so like, for instance, in my office, what we do, right. We are always like, we sit there, we have, we are very, very, like we have people from all over the world. Right. And we super, we have very, very interesting and very, you know, <laughs> philosophical conversations all the time, but it's so interesting because we talk about culture as well, like our own cultural experiences. And we do things like we bring food from our own cultures and we share it, you know, tell me about your culture because there we're not afraid to talk about how different we are. What brings us together is our set of beliefs. We believe in ethics. You know, we believe in making the world better. We believe in doing the right thing. The culture there is a shared culture. We're sharing each other. Like, I want to understand you and I want you to understand me as opposed to, oh, we are really fun culture. So we play table tennis every day. And like I say, almost every sport that in meat corporations, they used to team bond. A lot of those sports are sports we don't really care about. You know, a lot of black people, we play basketball, we play soccer, you know. <laughs> and a lot of gay people don't even play any sports at all. So Right there. Exactly. So who are you talking to is the problem. What I 
actually wanted to ask you next is, is sort of like, where does the beauty industry go from here? Where do people go to change that corporate structure? Firstly, this is the first step, making a conscious awareness that there's a problem, right? And then setting an objective to go, hey, this is where I need to be, you know? And even what does that number need to be? Firstly, there needs to be a lot of training around hiring. Secondly, there has to be more uh, open, because everybody's like, I can't find Black people, but we find them all the time. You know, I don't understand what I, how I'm seeing all these Black candidates and you guys are not seeing them. So clearly that's bullshit, right? There's a whole lot of bull around there. So I think one of the good things about this being public is, Okay, now companies saying we're hiring, but also they've used this opportunity to tell all the black people around that we're hiring, right? So now I expect that when you're advertising that job, now when you put that up, a lot of black people are now going to apply because not only have you said I'm hiring because we're having this conversation publicly, you say I am open to hiring you. So now all the black qualified professionals now know that, okay, I had already given up on corporate. I wanted to go probably start my own business, but maybe I never wanted to really be a business person. Let me give it another go. And now L'Oreal is hiring. And now I know L'Oreal are open to hiring somebody like me. And I think that's the first immediate if, if change we're going to see coming out of this in just that public. I mean, this is like the biggest job ad and the marketing budget you can put on a job ad ever in history, you know. So that's great, right? Um, the second phase of it will now be looking at the internal practices. Also a good step. And I think we all need to pull and create a fund for Black education. Yeah, and like start having these uncomfortable conversations, which I, I think the one thing I'd love to hear your take on is I've read a lot on social about a lot of black people saying like, I'm done having these conversations with white people to make you feel better, to assuage your guilt, to, you know, do all that shit, like go read a book and go watch a movie and go figure it out, but don't call me. Particularly in the beauty industry, in order to really open people's eyes and, and to get everything out on the table, there is an amount of uncomfortable conversations that unfortunately still have to happen. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's what I'm here for. And I've said to every company who's reached out to me, I'm a resource. You know, I'm not here to, I, I care more about my people than I do about that we're competitors, right? I, I don't care about that right now. As you can see, I put myself down the line. You know, I told my team on Monday, I'm like, our brand will not survive this most likely in what I'm about to do. You know, it's going to destroy us. I'm going to be a pariah. But right now I cannot care about that. And I have to care about my people and I have to care about the next generation. So I think uh, my goal is to make the world a better place so that the next generation, this would be like a fast to them. It would be as stupid as it is to us right now when you think about the idea of, you know, you can't come into the room because you're black. You know, that seems crazy to you. It seems so far-fetched and stupid. Um, and I think I'm what we do right now is what's going to determine for the next generation to go like, what, black people in employment was a thing? You know, I want us to get to a point where we don't have to have quotas. We only have quotas now because people are marginalized, right? Once we truly integrate, who's going to care about a quota? It's not going to matter. But right now we're not there yet. I think there's a huge opportunity to like address the VC community because they're, talk about money, <laughs> hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars that they have. And literally their job is to spend money. Even, even in an economic crisis, they still have that money allocated. So like... <laughs> It's sitting there, right? And then they sit there and like, I just couldn't find a black person to give it to. So think about that. So, you know, so it's crazy. So I think, yeah, there's a lot of work that needs to be done around diversity and inclusivity. But if we start using that word for what it truly means, which is true diversity, true inclusivity, that can only come from a culture of transparency. And I don't know why people don't get that. If you're not transparent, if you're not open, you cannot learn. You have to have your ears open. And I think that's what needs to happen. And we're taking a one step 
you know, towards that today um, and, and this and, and what we've been doing. And I the momentum is only going to build from this point. Um, and I, I hope every other company who's sitting back there thinking they're going to get away with this, you better pull up because, you know, you're not getting away with this. Like, you know, today Lush just released their numbers, you know, they didn't release it publicly. One of our community DM'd them and said, you need to give me these numbers. And they DM'd it back. And it was essentially, we have no Black people in leadership and we have very few Black people in the organization. And people were absolutely shocked because go on Lush's Instagram grid. Like after this, just go there and, and then you can continue that conversation uh, with what I mean. Go on our page and look at Lush's number and then go on the grid. People, so people are like gobsmacked, you know, and I think the more shocked they are, they're now going, can I trust any brand now? It's almost like misleading because you assume that there must be black people working on this project because this is... When you actually think about corporate and the way corporate works and the exploitation of black people, it is outstanding. And for me, I didn't just want to come out and rant about the exploitation of black people. I wanted people to just see it for themselves that a lot of these brands that you are thinking are like really black because of how they market black and, you know, street culture supreme. Who has benefited from street culture more than supreme? They're like the custodians of street culture. You know, the other problem is, I think, with a lot of skateboard brands, they also like market this idea of like bunking authority, you know, FTP, whatever. And and yeah, if if you have that much cultural currency that skateboarding brands, beauty brands have, like you really have to use it for good when the time comes instead of just like you said, profiting off of it. Also, it's very important. I think what I'm saying loud and clear to everybody in the community, right? The black culture is the only culture that is not controlled commercially by black people. You think about that. If you think about Asian culture, Asian brands, look at Shishido, the entire board is Asian people because they are giving you their culture. How can Supreme be giving me my culture? Nike are giving me my culture? That is crazy. Street culture is black culture. Where is the mega black brand that, where is the black street brand? Let's even just talk about it. There's not like this tiny indie, you know, trying to make it. Where is the black street brand? How can we not be the custodians of our own culture? So we continuously exploited, you know, and they put a familiar face and then everybody's cool. Everybody messes with it. And then the same people are profiting off it. And then that, that's the part that I'm calling out. And that's why I want everybody to see what corporate structures look like. You know, a few control a lot. And that's the point. I'm like, we have to take back like, you know, it's going to be hard for a black brand now to compete with Supreme or to compete with Nike or to compete with Adidas. But at the least you can do is hire black people. This is going to become your full-time job. I know, right? Exactly, right? I know. I know. I actually said that. I was like, oh my God, because it's just getting bigger and bigger by the minute. But I'm so passionate about this and I'm so happy with the traction that it's getting. And yes, to be honest, it would probably come to a point I just have to hire a, a CEO I trust not to damage my culture um, for my own business and go do this because I feel this is more important than me getting richer. I'm obsessed with her. It's like exactly what white people in the beauty industry need to hear right now. I mean, that was amazing. This won't be as amazing, but uh, it, it's kind of fun. We love talking about our favorite products. We have a lot of them. We have a new one pretty much every week. Nick, do you want to go first? So there is this new brand that was started by actually a friend of mine named Ben Bennett. And the brand is called Naturium, like nature with an I-U-M. And I'm going to do the YouTube version of putting a hand behind the product when you show it. Okay, we're looking at like a like Carmex size little jar. It's a little jar of eye cream and it's called the multi-peptide eye cream. And why I love it is eye cream is tough for me because 
I have very dry under eyes, but I also have normal skin. So anything that is too oily will start to go into my eyes and like kind of gets everywhere or will like add kind of a sheen to my under eyes so that they look actually more tired than I am. So I've never found something that actually works. The thicker ones will like pill or do kind of gross things. And the thinner ones, as I said, just kind of go everywhere. And I I love this one because it's kind of like a balm, Mm. almost like a water balm. So uh, it looks less like a cream and more like a sort of thick formula. It goes on transparently and stays put and just adds a little bit of like moisture to your eyes. And it's like really cheap too. I mean, it's $16. Oh, that's actually really good. Yeah. And what's great about it is that it's a, it's like a science, you know, science-based brand. And so, and I know Ben really well, disclaimer, so I can attest to the fact that he's not going to put shit in the product that is not good for you. And (laughs) I've been really happy with it. Can I go now? Okay. Yeah, that's it. I just love this. It's $16 eye cream. And what, what, what else do you want from me? Nothing. That's great. Thank you. Okay. So mine is maybe I didn't, I'm not like realizing something here, but I don't hear people talk a lot about like depilatory creams. Do you? Depilatory. Am I saying it wrong? You say like depilatory. Yeah, like it's like That's because I have a lazy tongue. I know that it's a pee, but like it just. Depilatory creams are creams that remove hair. <laughs> you know how they say, you know how they say you have like a face for a radio? <laughs> I think I have a voice for Instagram. <laughs> Um, anyway, depilatory creams take, it's like Nair, right? But okay. So yeah, I, I, I'm a Nair customer. I, I have to use it on my upper thighs because I, I prefer not to use razors cause, um, they're wasteful. So on the bottom half of my leg where my ha- hair is thicker, I use something called an epilator, which is like this like spinning wheel of like death tweezers that plucks out all your hairs as you pull it up your leg. Maybe that's for a future episode, but on the top part of my leg where my hair is finer, it's like little, you know, like peach fuzz kind of. And then also on the top part of my leg, I deal with on the back of my thighs, I deal with like clogged pores, I guess. Do you have the, well, you, you don't shave or anything. So you're not having like KP kind of, but I actually think it's like more of Ingrown hairs? It's like a combination, I think, of both. It's confusing and, like, I can't really, like, look at it as because sometimes, sometimes I'll do the thing where you, like, put your leg over the top of your head and try to inspect, but, like, I can, can definitely feel it. And yeah, it's like these... You know something's It's like a there. plug in your pore and it's just, like, it sucks. So, anyway, I use Nair um, to, like, melt the hair away. And so I went recently to the Dwayne Reed down the street to buy a new thing of Nair and they had merchandised right next to the Nair the men's hair removal products. And I didn't realize that there's also depilatory cream for men and it's super cheap. It's way cheaper than Nair. So talk about like the pink tax. Anyway, it's called, the problem is they need help with their branding. Um, It has like eight names. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's like a white. It feels like magic is the name of the brand. Okay. Uh, Soft Sheen Carson, Magic, Razorless Cream Shave, Extra Strength for Coarse Beards. It works in four minutes. It helps stop razor bumps. It's like a white tube, a black cap, and like red artwork. So what I do, though, is I put it on before the shower and then, you know, leave it on for as long as it recommends. And then when I get in the shower, this is the trick. Take a Metro card. You can use a credit card. No, you can't use a credit card. It's too thick. So it has to be like a bendy card. Yeah, it's a bendy card. It can go around your, like, knees, your contours. And in the shower, before you let 
the water run over your thighs, you take the Metro card and you remove the hair by scraping up with the Metro card. And it's way more effective than just like the water or like a washcloth. And you can make sure you like get all of it because I feel like the stuff can kind of like leave a film if you don't. And yeah, and it lasts way longer than shaving. And there's like, because it melts the proteins that are that make up the hair, it basically like melts the, the little plugs that are like causing these bumps in the back of my thighs too. So it treats that. It's incredible. And it's how much money? Um, I think it's like... 350 super cheap it seems worth it it's worth it could i use it on my beard um i would assume so yeah tell me about your beard nick well i don't have it right now you look like a baby i know i shaved it but um i hate shaving because it's like so aggressive to do to your face and i was wondering if i could use that so maybe i'll I try think you it. should patch test first don't be a dummy patch, patch test. test should we end this should we call it yeah okay let's call it a day Okay, so this is us wrapping our first ever episode of Eyewitness Beauty. Thanks to Sharon Chuter. Check out at Pull Up for Change on Instagram. And check us out on Instagram at Eyewitness Beauty. And please leave us a five-star review on iTunes because it helps other people find the show. Our theme music was composed by Danny Prezant. And this podcast is produced by Hannah Beal, myself, Nick Axelrod-Welk, and Annie Krebaum. Okay, bye. Bye.